0: Ben Riley is a queer writer and journalist who co-produces the fortnightly Queers podcast, and he joins us on the line from Sydney. Welcome, Ben.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: It's a great pleasure. Your work often focuses on queer politics. What direction do you think queer politics and activism should take in Australia post marriage vote?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a, a very big question, and and I think a very uh, open one. I think uh, I would always. Want that to be something that all queers are considering to themselves, and and ultimately, obviously, I, you know, I, I, I hope for kind of uh, agency and empowerment for people to, to shape the direction of, of of the politics that they want to have. I suppose that the, the queer issues in Australia that, that jump out to me as being particularly important at the moment. Uh, I mean, there's, there are some really kind of glaring things that we need to take care of: um, bodily autonomy for intersex. People is, is, a, is a, a really big one and, and surgical, ending surgical intervention, interventions on intersex infants um, and access to healthcare across the board I think is an important one too, but particularly for trans folk. Uh, I suppose more broadly, I, I hope that we start to see more and more of uh, queers standing in solidarity with all sorts of people and addressing some of the, the fundamental problems that Australia has that aren't just necessarily queer issues, things like poverty, inequality, Um, Men's violence, offshore detention, uh, lots of um, issues around self-determination for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. There are lots of things that I think we uh, uh, can and and should be speaking up more about.
0: Recently, you tweeted about Sarah Sanders and you asked, is throwing a leading figure of the Trump administration out of a restaurant the same or different than conservatives refusing to bake cakes for gay weddings? What do you think?
1: (laughs) It was a bit of a cheeky it question, was. I think, for us to, to, to put out there. And we, we talked about it a bit, actually, on our, our most recent episode, which just came out yesterday. Um, I think there are two ways that you can answer this. The first one, yeah, I think, is simple, which is it's, it's clearly very different. The power dynamics are, are extremely different there. Um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is, is a, a very powerful member of, a, of, the, of the powerful administration, doesn't really need the same protections as as marginalized groups do but i think the more important point to make here and this ended up being sort of the 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 focus of much of our discussion yesterday is that questions about the kind of abstract ethical um uh, nature of of uh you know whether or not one thing or another is is equivalent or acceptable Uh, are a bit of a distraction, really, Um, and that uh, as soon as we get bogged down in conversations about whether or not something is okay, whether or not uh, we we condone a certain action, all it really does is serve the people who benefit from nothing being done. So I think ultimately, you know, protest in the ways that work is probably a better way to approach it than, than asking endless questions about whether or not we think uh, a given form of protest is acceptable.
0: Ben, in June, Queer's podcast tweeted about people claiming moral objections to using a trans person's preferred name or pronoun, and he described it as maybe the weirdest expression of queerphobia. Tell us about the catalyst uh, for that tweet.
1: Uh, oh, gosh, I'll have to... Thinking back to several weeks ago to, to um, what I was... Uh, gosh, what was I tweeting about then? Certainly throw these things... Uh, throw these things out there. Can you remind me of the? Uh, well, the it's a, of I'm just
0: thinking though it's a pertinent question, isn't it? Because some people do claim um, a moral objection to so many things about you know gender diverse people's lives uh, and also queer people's lives. Um, and it was a pretty weird expression, wasn't it, of queerphobia? Uh, if uh, people,
1: yes, sure, go down I know that track. I now. There were. Uh, I've, I've been reading some some news stories about conservative just having, like, this weirdly intense level of, uh, of... of of Outrage? I don't know. Outrage, frustration with, like, having to be in social situations where they would have to call someone by them or call someone by
0: the, the name they, they desire. Yeah.
1: I'm just like, what is... I don't know. It just seems super weird. It's super weird to me. I feel like there are lots of, like, expressions of queerphobia that even if I think are... Uh, really gross or really, um, yeah, I don't know, objectionable as, as most of them are. Like I get where they're coming from. I sort of understand the fundamental discomfort there around just like, you know, feeling like queer people are, they make you uncomfortable, but I feel like this is so silly because it doesn't seem to impact another person in any way at all. Uh, and I I feel like there's value in just kind of calling these things out when they're completely ridiculous.
0: You often write about mental health. To what extent do you think sex apps like Grindr and Scruff do damage to people's mental health and senses of queer community? And I'm thinking rejection, isolation through people not meeting sure, sure. and chronic time wasting. What do you reckon?
1: Sure. I mean, I uh, I would never want to make a completely blanket statement about, about the value of the apps because I think… They have their purpose. They, they do have that purpose, and and uh, you know uh, I met my current partner on one of the apps, and and have certainly had plenty of lovely experiences through them. But I think that at a time when isolation is a real problem for a lot of people, not just queers, but I think particularly queers, uh, yeah, having having this um, this, this constant uh, what I would call an illusion of, of intimacy in front of you, where you have this kind of Hypothetically accessible list of, of people who are you know only meters away who can uh, theoretically make you feel better about yourself, but of course that's not how it works, and 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 you do end up experiencing a lot of rejection, and and that uh, the, the closeness of those people is more illusory than than those apps present them to be. Uh, yeah, I do I do think that that has the potential to really exacerbate uh, isolation, not necessarily, but I think in in practice uh, often.
0: You often write about HIV as well. How effective do you think the undetectable equals untransmittable or you equals you campaign has been?
1: Uh, I hope that, I mean, you know, in terms of the effectiveness of the science itself, I mean, it's, it's, it's very, very strongly supported by evidence that uh, people living with HIV who have an undetectable viral load cannot transmit the, the virus uh, through sex, uh, and that's that's kind of a very important thing to put out there. I mean, it's always uh, a lot of education is always required to, uh, to, to reinforce those sorts of, me- me- uh, of measures among gay men. I think particularly when we have decades of experience of fear around HIV, ar- around of, of uh, you know, anxiety about what happens when we don't use condoms, that, that's really been kind of drilled into us. And so it, it makes sense to me that people would be a little apprehensive about it, but I think that we need to just keep reinforcing the message that uh, that that, is, that it's okay, that unsexual does equal untransmissible, uh, and, and hopefully that will have the, the very good side effect of, of breaking down um, stigma around people living with HIV.
0: You co produce Queer's podcast with Simon Copeland. Tell us about Simon and how you ended up working together.
1: Sure. Simon and I met a few years ago when the two of us were both Uh, we were both columnists at the time for the Star Observer, the queer newspaper, which I ended up uh, going on to to work at as a journalist. Um, And we met up a couple of times, uh, ended up finding out that we had similar politics, I guess. Uh, And I one day was just on uh, Facebook kind of doing a bit of a a shout out to say, does anyone have any recommendations for for interesting um, queer podcasts? And couldn't really find anything that I particularly liked. And Simon, being a real uh, he's a, re- a real go getter, he's a, someone who, who uh, uh, sort of just do things, um, uh, which is al- always what you need in, in any sort of creative project. I think, said, "Why don't we just let's just make one? Let's just do it." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, I guess I guess we could do that." Uh, and so we we sort of brought together and and uh, came up with a with a concept and and then just started started making it. So that's that's really how it came about.
0: And it's a great product. How can people access Queers Podcast?
1: They can uh, find all of the episodes on our website, which is queerspodcast.com, uh, and subscribe to it on uh, Apple Podcasts, really any of the, the podcast uh, streaming services. You should be able to find it. Just look for Queers, and the logo is a pink Q. Uh, it should be pretty easy to find.
0: Awesome stuff. Ben Riley, love your work, and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon on 3CR. It's much appreciated.
1: Thank you for having me you're listening to a
0: 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. And our Vax CEO, Simon Ruth, joins us on the line. Welcome, Simon. It's a great pleasure. Simon VAX If Report puts a spotlight on state sponsored discrimination on a global scale faced by LGBTIQ people and also people living with HIV and it uses the portraits of sixteen people from Victoria's LGBTIQ and living with HIV communities. Now some of those countries and stories surprise me, especially Finland. Tell us about that story of discrimination.
2: Um, so, so the finished story, I think, it's, it's about if you're trans in, in Finland, isn't it, that you have to have a declared mental illness and uh, go through a sterilisation process trying to go a transition. That floored um, me. Yeah, so you know, back has a history in activism, we we were originally formed as an activist co-op in 1983 at a public meeting at the lab. Um, it's it's always been at our heart, and last year, you know, it was a particularly hard year. As we're talking about marriage in this country and went through a terrible, divisive public debate on our rights, but then we heard about Chechnya, where Mm. gay and bisexual men were being rounded up and and have disappeared, and and in Indonesia, in Aceh particularly, where where trans women and, and gay men, again, were being whipped publicly and Uh, trans women having their hair cut and and being made to speak in deep voices and and abused. And and even in the Philippines with an incoming president who thinks it's okay to shoot anybody that he believes is a drug dealer, regardless of whether there's evidence or not behind them. So, you know, we we have great rights in this country, even though we had a terrible debate. But we we thought with that and with also offshore processing of queer refugees and, and possible resettlement in third countries, such as Papua New Guinea, where they're going to be charged for being queer again, even though they're trying to get to a country where it's not illegal, we will resettle them in a country where it is. We just felt we can do something more, and so we designed an annual report to try and draw attention um, to what's going on around us and to try and raise awareness of Australians to you know to, to what they need to be aware of in our neighbouring nations and, and across the world.
0: Speaking, speaking of neighbouring nations and also Papua New Guinea, tell us about the story of discrimination you featured there.
2: I uh, actually... I've got the report in front of me. I don't know what it exactly was. But, but it's interesting,
0: you know, isn't it, because homosexuality is illegal there, and, of course, you know, there's um, people in offshore detention uh, thanks to the Australian government <laughs> languishing there, and some of them are queer. It's not a good scenario, is it?
2: Yeah, yeah. There's gay men who've fled to countries where it's illegal, some in which where they face a death penalty, trying to get to Australia where they can live open, happy lives, and they're being held in offshore processing and then being settled in countries such as Papua New Guinea, where they can again be charged for being homosexual. Um, we accept refugees from Papua New Guinea who are LGBTI, and yet we're resettling LGBTI asylum seekers in Papua New Guinea. And that's an outrage. We've written to the federal government about that, um, it's, and they acknowledge that it's a very complicated issue and, and don't tend to, to offer us... Much back from that. Um, At the end of the annual report, if if you have a look at it online, we do actually talk about the local organisations that you can support in each of the countries that we've highlighted and capital champions um, in Papua New Guinea who who are an HIV organisation essentially, uh, are doing amazing work over there um, in a country where just their very existence is criminalised.
0: Of the 16 nations covered in the IF report, which one do you think is the most pernicious towards LGBTIQ people or people living with HIV? It's a tough ask, um, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it's a tough ask, and, and we worked with we worked closely with Alga, um, not Alga, um, AGMC, the Australian uh, GLBTI uh, Multicultural Council on this report, and particularly Maria Pilatichiroli, who was incredibly helpful to us. Uh, and it was important that we just didn't identify certain countries and say these are terrible countries. So we do talk about the rights violations that are occurring in Australia and in the United States and in some countries where you possibly wouldn't expect Finland being another one where you wouldn't expect those violations. But we still have across the planet more than 10 countries where the death penalty is on the cards. And we we still have a a range of other nations where where people go through appalling situations. Sri Lanka is an interesting one where several years ago they looked at removing um, male homosexuality off their books as a crime and somehow in their government, they instead decided to add lesbianism as, as an offence as well. So they actually increased their laws. Um, and we're facing other countries as well where the laws are actually getting harsher, such as Indonesia and India and some other places, instead of getting better.
0: Has Australia's Foreign Minister Julie Bishop uh, directly acknowledged and responded to your report in any way?
2: Um we write to her regularly. Uh, we, we write to the federal government regularly about a range of issues including Chechnya and Malaysia and Indonesia and the philippines and, and we ask that the federal government take up the issues and and we get back um, short letters uh, that generally tell us yes, they take these issues seriously um, it's, and it's very complicated. The letters are getting better um, but you know I don't, I don't think you know we're going to see Australia making any huge uh, you know claims in international courts about what's going on. If Julie Uh, Bishop
0: was listening, what would you say to her that she needs to do, that's something that's really, really, really easy to do but would make a huge difference to people in countries like Jamaica or PNG or Sri Lanka?
2: Well, I think there's a range of things we can do. Make public statements. Uh, At the Commonwealth Games this year, the British government funded an organisation to look at uh, addressing the fact that a lot of these, particularly the smaller countries that are still in the Commonwealth have these laws because of British colonialism that were imposed upon them, even though they didn't have these cultures historically, um, you know, make make a commitment to to trying to support the change in our region. Um, the International Lesbian and Gay Association, which which is an international human rights work, have a conference in Samoa in the next few weeks. You know, we could pro- be providing support there, and there, and then their international conference, their global conferences in Wellington next year. Um, human Rights Watch, uh, Impact. There's a whole range of organizations working in this space. Um, the other thing that we could do is make an ongoing commitment to uh, supporting LGBTI asylum seekers. Canada and the United States under Barack Obama both had campaigns where they recognised that many LGBTI people seeking asylum um, were unable to seek asylum in many countries because those countries further criminalised our, our lives. And, and I think Australia could very easily um, you know, identify instead of white South African farmers identify LGBTI people as a group that we will support and we will care for and, and that we take our lives seriously and, and that we honour them and, and would look to bring them here.
0: None of the people featured in your portraits, are the 16 portraits, were elderly people. Was that a gap?
2: Uh, they the, the people featured in the portraits were all volunteers who were prepared um, to tell their story. Uh, they came from a range of... Um, backgrounds, all the stories in there are... uh, The the stories don't always align with the individual in the photo, but um, they they do... You know, they they are stories that they told us themselves. Um, I think a couple of them would be flattered to to think that you're not calling them elderly, but uh, it's the people who were prepared to put their image forward. And um, this is also... ..will become a a social media campaign. Um, And and it, it takes a lot of bravery to be prepared to put your photo up and say... I'm a queer and and I'm happy to have my image out there and and I'm happy to talk about my issues. And uh, Vax campaigns historically have featured our community members um, and and our volunteers, and we thank them all for being brave enough. Uh, Right back to Two Boys Kissing back in 1990, which, you know, almost got us defunded, two young men who were prepared to provide their image to us and and became a a national media story. And next week we actually launch another campaign um, with uh, 12 new faces. Um, which will go up across Melbourne, people who are prepared to, to stand up and say, I'm queer and um, and my rights are important. The
0: photos in your report are beautifully done and we must acknowledge the photographers. Who took them?
2: Uh, it's... Um oh, you put me on the spot. Here. Really? I <laughs> don't need boots. to. It's, it's Miss Fossie Boots, so there are uh, a firm we work with a lot, they also do our Drama Down Under campaigns and, and they're doing the campaign that we launch next week. Um, and it's uh, two women called uh, Virginia and Veronica and they, they have a company called Miss Bossy Boots and they're uh, a local South Yarra-based um, company. But, but yes, they do They do amazingly beautiful work. They they do Drama Down Under, they do the Casey Conway Drama Down Under shoot and they've got the shoot that goes live across Melbourne next week for as well.
0: You must be absolutely rapt that you won an Australasian uh, Media Award for your IF report. Can we expect any future IF reports? And if so, what might we expect?
2: Um, so next year, uh, so it's back, 35th anniversary uh, next week. Um, we have an event on Saturday night uh, where we will be rebranding uh, the Victorian AIDS Council will be no more, and there will be really? a new organisation. There will be a new organisation. You're splitting them. I discuss this on radio. Uh, so tomorrow night we will be launching a new brand and a new organisation for the future.
0: And what will it be called? Uh, so
2: if, uh, you, you can come along tomorrow night and find out. Wow. <laughs> um, at the event, but it's a brand that we think pays homage to our history and our past, but also uh, provides a light for the future. We're, we're not the organisation we were five years ago or 20 years ago. We're not just doing HIV work now. We've doubled in size in the last four years. The majority of that um, is around LGBT health now. Um, We will always stay committed to ending HIV in Victoria, and we're now in South Australia and and across the country. Um, But but we also now run Equinox, which has 700 trans and gender diverse people who attend it. Next week, we're running our LGBTI Women's Health Conference, which will be the largest conference of that kind uh, in Australia ever, And, and the fourth one that we're running with ACON, um, the work that we do today is very different, so we need a brand that acknowledges the work that we're doing and, and takes us into the future.
0: Can we expect VAC to be taking a more activist role in this new, newly rebranded role and title that you've got going?
2: Um, I think I think we're you know we're we're very committed to activism. Um, one of the keynote speakers, two of the keynote speakers that we've got at our women's conference next week, one is Elephant Thorne, who's um, a well-known Victorian activist. Absolutely, uh, she was on the, the show artist.
0: recently. Actually, she's incredible. Was she? Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. Um, So, yes, Alison's wonderful, and she's a life member. She was on our original board. Alison is the person who suggested forming an organisation. So she's the person responsible for the Victorian AIDS Council existing. And we're also bringing Naomi Fontanis to Australia. Naomi's a trans activist from the Philippines, but has also done a lot of activism around the right of people who inject drugs and use drugs in the Philippines, um, you know, and, and has put herself on the line continually, in that country, which is incredibly hostile uh, to anybody uh, who's activist in that space, um, so and we recently ran an activism forum where we took seven activists from different points over our last 35-year history, and we had a panel discussion last week in Melbourne where um, over a hundred people turned up. So um, we we will stay committed to fighting for the rights of our communities.
0: And I'm assuming the newly branded name of your organisation will no longer include the word AIDS. Uh,
2: it won't include the word AIDS. But it in fact, it won't include the words Victorian AIDS and cancer. What about HIV? So, so, so they will all be out be know. Yep.
0: Fascinating stuff. Simon, Ruth, thank you so much for joining us down on In Your Face. I won't probe you anymore. I'll wait for the big announcement. <laughs>
2: all right. Fantastic. Cheers. Thanks for having
0: me. Our Cheers. pleasure. Quad to five. There you have it. A newly rebranded uh, Victorian AIDS Council Gay Men's Health Center and going to be called something else. It's a quad to five on In Your Face on 3CR. And, of course, Simon was talking about their IF report.